This is the Luke Thomas Show podcast. You can listen to the full show weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Today on the Luke Thomas Show podcast, I'm going to explain what's at stake in the main event for UFC Smith versus Teixeira, both for Anthony Smith and for Glover Teixeira. We're going to catch up with a big winner from UFC 249. Calvin Cater will be here. Plus, we'll dig into the mailbag and get to a huge variety of different topics. The Luke Thomas Show airs weekdays, 1 to 3 p.m. Eastern, right here on Sirius XM Fight Nation, Channel 156. And don't forget about the mailbag, Show at gmail.com. Happy Wednesday to everybody. It's hump day. It's the middle of the week. I guess the weeks don't feel quite like normal anymore, but you know, all right, here we are. And like I mentioned, there's fights tonight, huh? Uh, The UFC is back in Jacksonville and uh, back at the same arena, same hotel, same everything. Um, Before we get into real quickly, Cobb, did you see the New York Times report this morning about the UFC safety protocol? Uh, I read a little bit of it. Yeah. As far as, uh, you know. They don't give you the full article, so I read the very top part. Oh, you're that guy? You cheap bastard. Yep, that's me. You know, well, you know what's funny? The New York most of these papers have made their coronavirus coverage for free, you know? But everything else you still gotta pay for. I'm a New York Times subscriber, so I read the whole thing. Uh in the article, Cobb, I don't know if you know this, they linked to remember that Dana White's been like, Oh, we got this twenty five page document we're giving out to everyone about our safety protocol and blah blah blah. You remember that whole thing? Of course. So they they got a copy of it, and I read it cover to cover. It is um, it is interesting. There's a lot of good in there. There's plenty of weird, and there's I found honestly, Cobb. I'm not exaggerating. Several contradictions in the document, like page seven X, page nine not X. I'd be like, okay, I'm not sure how that all works, but. Um, I'm going to, we probably won't get to that today because there's just other, we, like, here's a problem. We've not covered this fight card at all, and it's literally tonight. If we're going to get the coverage in, it's now, but I am probably going to talk about that um, that New York Times article and the paper that I read tomorrow. I spent my morning reading it and going over it and taking notes on it. It's kind of interesting. Um, anyway, just want to put that out there. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that probably. And that's, by the way, I've, with, it was written by TLTS guest the article, not the paper, uh, Kevin Draper of the New York times. Okay. So let's get to this here for just a little bit. If we can, to start the show, phone lines are open eight, seven, seven fight, 93, eight, seven, seven, three, four, 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 eight, nine, three. I think, I think it was Cobb who told me this. It could have been my other, uh, my co-host on my other show, Brian, uh, Brian Campbell could have been both of y'all to be honest with you, but somebody told me recently, I think it was Cobb. It's like, you know what, man, all of a sudden, Light heavyweight, you know, I'm not saying the whole thing is interesting, but the top there has some guys that are making it kind of cool. The top there are some guys that are doing some interesting things. So before we talk about the division more generally, I want to talk about this main event. You've got uh, Anthony Smith, Sirius XM Zone, Anthony Smith taking on Glover Teixeira, a very, very interesting contest, to put it mildly. And the reason why I like this fight so much There's just a lot on the line for both guys. Number one, I think it is conceivable. I do not know how likely it is, but it at least seems possible, and you could even argue probable, that the winner gets a title shot. It is possible, especially if it's Smith. Less so if it's Teixeira, but certainly if it's Smith. That that seems like something you could maybe consider, right? Uh, Certainly he would be in the short list at a bare minimum. 
That's one. But there's more to the story here than this. Glover Teixeira is a guy who was like one of those guys when he was not in the UFC that everyone who had competed against him or trained with him had said, this is the guy. I mean, this is the one you want to pay attention to. He is the man. You know, he had beaten Sukaju in the regional scene before anyone had ever heard of him. And he was kind of fighting on these like nubber Brazilian shows. And then he finally made his debut at UFC 146 in May of 2012, which he won. In fact, he went on a one, two, three, four, five fight win streak, beating both Ryan Bader and Quentin Jackson during their, I want to say relative primes, but back when they were, you know, certainly much more of a force to be reckoned with. He did lose to John Jones. I was at that event. That was Baltimore. He lost to Phil Davis in the, in the subsequent bout, rattled off three more wins, including Rashad Evans, who he viciously KO'd inside of two minutes. He did lose to Rumble comes back and beats Cannoneer, loses to Gustafsson via KO in the fifth round, was back and forth affair, beat Misha Serkinov, uh, got decisioned by Corey Anderson, and has since rattled off three wins in a row. Uh, arm triangle over Carl Roberson, a rear naked choke against Ion Kutselaba, and then a split decision over Nikita Krilov. Here is what is so interesting about this fight. It reminds me of the dynamic at heavyweight, where the guys at heavyweight, it's the oldest division. Because these old dudes, power is the last thing to go, right? And so what often happens, I mean, they're already heavyweights anyway, and they're going to hold on to power pretty late. So what ends up happening is they just have a division where it's hard to, to like usher out the older, go- the older guard. It's hard for prospects to push through. And listen to the names I just rattled off. I mean, he's had some losses to the bigger names. The Anderson, who I think has asserted himself as a decent contender, certainly Gustafson, Johnson, Phil Davis, and John Jones. That's really it, right? Uh, but the other ones, Krilov, contender. Kutilaba, younger contender. Roberson dropped down to one, 185. Uh, that's exactly the profile I'm talking about. Cannoneer, bounced him from the division, basically. Patrick Cummins, OSP. James Tahuna. Fabio Maldonado, I mean, guys who were in that position, you know, in a different time in the UFC's running. So anyway, you have him trying to keep out this new generation of fighters looking to take over the division. He is basically the last of the old guard. I mean, I guess you could say John Jones is, but because of his relative youth, he's not quite part of that group in that same kind of way. So it's really interesting. It is it is the last of the Mohicans from a different era of light heavyweight, still causing he's on a three fight win streak, still causing plenty of problems for the guys at the top. Is Anthony Smith, if he beats him, he joins this group: the John Joneses, the Phil Davises, the Anthony Johnsons, the the um, Alexander Gustafsons, and more recently the Corey Andersons. Right. So this is something of a litmus test for Anthony Smith. Now let me be clear about what I'm what I'm saying here. I think Anthony Smith has long since proven that he belongs in this division. In fact, I find the conversation that I'm even having at this point to a degree a little bit insulting, if I can be honest with you, because I just don't think that it's fair. He has done so much, Anthony Smith, to merit um, being taken seriously as he has gone from middleweight to light heavyweight argue obviously against john jones but then rebounded himself against gustafson and of course he had done some great things before that in beating uh uzdemir and beating shogun and beating rashad and several other fights as well so to me uh he's a proven commodity I, i have a i have a fairly clear sense of how good he is and the answers vary 
but I still feel like there's some lingering doubts about him. Now, even if he beats Glover, the haters are going to be like, oh, well, Glover was 40. And he is. Of course, Glover, that, I mean, that, you know, the fact that he's on a three-fight win streak apparently doesn't really matter. And all three of those wins came in a single calendar year. But I'm just pointing out, if you're asking what's at stake, if you beat Glover Teixeira, there's just no denying you're part of a different echelon of light heavyweight. And again, I think he's already reached it. But I also just see prevailing skepticism out there. That, you know, oh, well, he's just a blown up middleweight going to light heavyweight, which, again, is not fair. But whether it's fair is a different question than whether or not the sentiment in certain pockets of the fandom and the community exists. So you've got a potential title shot in the line. line. Again, I don't think that's the front of mine necessarily. But in Glover Teixeira, you put four wins together. I don't think you'll get a title shot, but you begin to, um, not begin, you solidify this position as this older guy who cannot be pushed out by younger guys. And if you're Anthony Smith, you have an option here to really, A, I think he would be much closer to a title shot with a win or certainly a number one contender's bout. And then on top of it, you know, to beat a guy like Lever Teixeira, to have that on your resume, I mean, that would mean he would have Shogun, uh, Rashad, Glover, and, and Gustafson all on his resume. That's a pretty great light heavyweight resume, even if some of those guys were a little bit longer in the tooth when he fought him, and Uzdemir as well. I mean, that's pretty good. That's pretty goddamn good, right? You're doing, you're doing something right if you have that. And, of course, a loss is always a bit of a setback, right? It sort of goes without saying. Um, so really interesting fight. Really interesting fight. When I think about the two matched up, we'll get to this in the main event preview, you know, you got to be honest about the stakes. That This is a tough fight for either guy. I think either guy at their best beats the other one. So to me, you know, the, obviously the, the question is what kind of offense and game plan do you bring? But also, and I think you heard Anthony Smith say this on uh, an edition of um, MMA Tonight, it's going to be really a function of who makes mistakes too, man. You're going to be very, very careful. Very careful to be minding your P's and Q's, you know. You have to have a very clean performance against Glover to get him out of there unless you just, you know, knock his block off. So, really interesting. This week on World of Basketball, former American college stars Jimmy and Billy Barron joined the show, and Billy spoke about the famous, heated Red Star Partisan rivalry. Let's say Partisan has the home court. We'll have to drive to a separate parking lot on the other side of the city. The team will meet there, and then we'll all board the bus with, let's say, four police cars ushering us to the gym. The place is already half full, and it's an hour and a half before the game. I mean, I looked at Marcus Page, who was on Partisan, and I said, "What's this? how does this compare to Duke? Carolina. He was like, can't because this is nowhere near Duke Carolina. Carolina is like, this is so much crazier. New episodes of World of Basketball are available every Thursday on Pandora and every Monday on the Sirius XM app. All right, joining us now on the hotline. Well, I should say the magic of Zoom. This guy had maybe one of the best wins, if not the best win of the weekend. What a phenomenal win for Calvin Cater when he defeated Jeremy Stevens with that vicious, vicious elbow. It's Mr. Cater himself, the bird whisperer. Hi, Calvin. How are you? Good, Luke. How you doing, man? Now, you, uh, you got sunglasses on for the people who are listening in the radio. Uh, yep. Are your eyes blackened because they're blackened or are your eyes blackened because of the broken nose? Uh, I'm thinking the broken nose or, or maybe that face mask I had to wear on the airplane home, man. Jesus. That thing's not easy to breathe through, uh, breathe through with the broken nose. How was that? Talk to me about that. The what? The flight? The, the flight with the mask. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, flying's never, you know, go through the TSA, the whole process. 
and then they ask you to take the mask off as you're passing through. Kind of defeats the purpose, right? But uh, it was it was miserable. But I'm you know happy to go home with a win, so it made it that much better. It would have sucked off a loss to have to wear that thing home. Well, and when you say miserable, miserable in what sense? Uh, I mean, well, you can't breathe through your nose, and then you got something covering your mouth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds like no fun. That sounds like no. And I yeah. heard you didn't even have a direct flight. Man, isn't that that shit? It's like, how don't you got any direct flights these days? I don't know. They canceled it right before we were trying to book it. And uh, I mean, another chip. <laughs> well, you know what? If there's any way to make up for it, you looked great, dude. That was such a nice win for you. Let me just ask how you're feeling about it. Rate your performance. I mean, I, I didn't really like uh, the fact that I gave him round one but I was doing some downloading and I wonder if you could have kept that pace up through three, you know, but uh, I started picking it up in the second landed better combinations and, uh, and was able to land a big shot and uh, we didn't have to find out, you know, followed up with some strikes, got the, got the finish. So yeah, I'm happy with the finish. I'm happy to be uh, showcasing more than just my boxing. And uh, I've been working with my, my mitt holder, uh, tie mitt holder, Jake Manini, and we've been doing a lot more pad work. So happy to just, start seeing some of that stuff that we've been working on in the gym come out in a fight all right let's talk about the uh the fight itself the ins and outs of it you know you have sometimes you, you even talked about it i think on the show last week lamented the fact that sometimes your fight starts slowly for you in fairness to you this time you know jeremy stevens came out hot there wasn't a whole lot you could do because if you fight fire with fire with that guy it's not the smartest idea so what did you make when he came out guns blazing a little bit yeah definitely um when he came out like that, I just, you just got to weather the storms, you know, and, 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 you know, especially with a guy like that, he wants you to sometimes <laughs> wise words from a, from a, one of the coaches, Sean Farley, he, he says, sometimes it's a punch you don't throw, you know, uh, that, that ends up being beneficial. So, you know, you, you, you take a shot sometimes there when a guy's coming in with something heavy and you know, you created an opening. So try to stay somewhat reserved, you know, especially in the early uh, start of the fight, but when I started to find my rhythm, my timing, and my distance, uh, I felt like I was able to start landing some big shots in the second. Uh, how, how impactful were your leg kick checks? I feel like they're great. I got hit with a ton of kicks, and I'm not really limping too bad. So, uh, I mean, I've, I've been hit with less kicks and have been limping a lot worse. So, at least I was checking them, you know? So, I'm happy with that, but maybe I don't have to check so many next time. Yeah, maybe so. Well, again, he came out kind of yeah. hot. And was he uh, the power punching of Stevens is sort of legendary. Was he as as heavy as advertised? Man, I don't know what it is. Uh, I mean, I don't mean to keep saying that in all these post fight interviews. Of course, these guys get hit hard, but I don't know. I think I, I think what it might be is just my adrenaline's pumping so much in there that that um, you know it's going to take a, a good one on the money to. to to do it for me. But other than that, man, I'm, I'm happy to exchange in there with these guys and, and just got to try to remain sharper. You know, I felt like Jeremy did a good job, but kind of almost, you saw the way I finished that round. I, I almost fell over on that last right hand, but I think that hmm. was more, I think that was more psychological, uh, you know, than, than anything was just showing them that I'm bringing the fight. But uh, yeah, man, good fight. He got me going a little, a little bit more out of my comfort. You know, I was kind of, uh, getting a little wild myself in that first round. So credit to him for getting that out of me, but uh, tightening up a little bit more in the second and my coaches and corners were telling me to, you know, take a little off and, uh, and it worked out.
You know what? In that second round, by the way, Calvin Cater joins us here on the Luke Thomas Show. In that second round, man, when you started letting the hand combinations go and you were turning angles on him, dude, that, I mean, at that point, you knew that. I, I, I Watching at home, I'm like, oh, this is about to be a different fight. When those started landing, what was going through your mind? You must have known the end was near at that point. Well, that's just when you're flowing. And it's how do you get to that? How do you, how do you get to that flow state as early as you can in the fight? while feeling it out, right? For me personally, that's where I know I'm, I'm doing my best is when I'm not thinking, I'm reacting, and I'm, I'm trusting my instincts. You know, I'm just going in autopilot. But uh, you, you really can't think while you're in there because it'll just it'll slow you down. So when you just start reacting, flowing, I feel like good things happen. Uh, and then the elbow. Let's talk about the elbow. Now, we had Duke Rufus on the show, and he was not specifically talking about your elbow, but he was saying a lot of ways to switch up guys who want to box with you, change up the range, land an elbow. It's what, for example, Brian Ortega did to Frankie Edgar, right? Something very similar. How did you set it up? Walk me through the setup. I just felt like Jeremy in the second, we were starting to exchange some good shots. And uh, when you do that, usually you're playing, he was looking to really engage. He was, uh, you know, sitting low and he was smothering my shots, not really backing up on any of them. So, I felt like uh, it would have been smart to switch into some short-range weapons. And a guy like Jeremy, you're probably not going to put down too easy, as you saw after landing a big right hand. You know? You're know, you not going to probably drop him with a punch. You're probably going to have to use an elbow or a knee uh, or a body shot, a well-timed body shot. You know, So uh, we knew it was a high possibility. We worked him a lot in camp, and I felt like he was starting to kind of smother my distance on my punches. So we switched to elbows, and uh, and yeah, got a big, got a big shot. Didn't even feel it before I know he's on the ground. Just followed up, finished them off. So when you say smother it, you means he wasn't backing off of your punches. He was still coming into you. So you sort of anticipated yeah. he's going to close the distance. I'll close the distance, and that will make the elbow the appropriate shot. Yeah, definitely, because he's uh, he's looking to just kind of throw off whatever you're throwing. I feel like you know he's he's ready. He just wants to exchange. So you usually throw some. He's going to get off. But if, uh, you know, it's tough, if a guy's sitting in the pocket and he eats an elbow, it's going to, it's going to throw off any combination he's, he's looking to throw, you know, and, and, so, and definitely those are like Kale Mary's, man. I'm glad we're trying to get, you know, find ways to just finish fights. Uh, anytime you can get out of there early is a good day, you know? So, uh, you put him on the ground that the elbow you landed on the feet was not the one that cut him. Then you sliced him open with an elbow there. Did you know, like, like as you're slicing this dude up, you had to know at that point, one or two more and the show is going to close here. Anytime I see blood, I, I, I just, I go for the kill. Uh, you look at all my finishes. If the, you know, that that's, I look to finish, man. If I see blood in there, I'm going to, I'm going to go for the kill. Uh, then this is the, I mean, how, how would you rank this win for you? Where does this stand among all of your UFC wins? I mean, it's a big one. I think he's probably the highest ranked fighter that I'd probably be, but uh, we're not done yet. He's for, for what I'm, where I want to go. He's, you know, he's, he's on the way, but he's not the final destination. I, I, I'm now hopefully considered with some of these guys out there, uh, you know, fighting for contender spots. And I'm just happy to be amongst that list. Bro, how mad at you were you? How mad were you at uh, Big Francis when he knocked out <laughs> Jair in 20 seconds and took your bonus? Tell me about it, man. Stole my thunder. And then tell me, someone should have told me not to get on a Tony Ferguson and uh, Justin Gagey. Uh, <laughs> you know? 
Well, you know what? Here's the thing. That that one that one had Fire the Night written all over it. And and at this point, Francis is pretty good for a first round KO. He's only had four in a row. But I, when you when you guys, drilled Stevens, I was like, oh, this guy's gonna get a bonus. But they took it from you, bro. Yeah, man. I I, I he said he's gonna take care of me. Dana said he's gonna take care of me. So we'll see what he you know we'll see what he does. All right. So that takes you here now. Um, what are they telling you about the broken nose? What's the prognosis on healing that thing? Uh, I, I think I just got to uh, not get any contact with it right now. But other than that, I'm going to stay getting into some, uh, stay moving, you know, doing what I can. And uh, just try to get healthy for a hopeful, uh, hopefully quick return. I, I want to have a busy 2020. Uh, the pandemic's got us off to a slow start, but I want to finish the year strong. I mean, are you going to get surgery on it? Like, what's the what's the plan there? Uh, I hope not. I, I got back from the place yesterday. They just said about four to six weeks, and uh, they'll take another look at it. But uh, should be getting better. You ever had nasal surgery before? No, not surgery, but I got like a. I'm sure I got. I, I think I had a deviated septum. It's been broke before, but never really had to get surgery or anything like that. So. Especially not while you're going to continue to fight. And I don't see myself changing my style anytime soon. So <laughs> we might have to be working with this thing for a little while. <laughs> yeah. By the way, are you a baseball fan, Calvin? Yeah, I'm a sports fan in general. My brother used to play baseball. So anyone ever tell you you look like Bryce Harper? How old is Bryce Harper? It's like, it's like about your age, right? How old are you? So he looks like me. Yeah. <laughs> and you ever get that comparison? Uh, I get a lot of comparisons, man. You'd be surprised. It's funny. But now with this uh, this busted up nose, my I'm going to be probably my biggest comparison is going to be the old man on the mountain in New Hampshire, just the ja- jagged uh, rock look with the with the nose. But I heard I feel like uh, they're going to mistake me for a boxer now. They might. Who, who else do people compared you to? I don't know. Right now, I'm repping my man, Wiki, Mickey Ward. Sent me yeah, a yeah. Support. I like that comparison. <laughs> That's a decent one. Uh, before I let you go, what was the, whatever happened to the bird that followed you in that story that went viral? Man, I don't know. Uh, I think, I, I hope, I'm hopeful that it's, it's just flying around somewhere, keeping an eye on me, you know? It got out of your house and then never came back? I mean, it is a bird. Yeah, that I mean, maybe, maybe, or maybe it's stuck around, you know, just flying around the neighborhood. I, I haven't saw it again, but hopefully it's been keeping an eye on me. And are you not, have you decided that you no longer wish to bring your gifts with birds onto the world? Like you didn't go to a pet shop and get another one? I'm thinking it's going to be a different animal this time. I'm ready. I'm looking. <laughs> you, know? you should get it. You should get into be a bird again. It'd be like you'd, you'd see it coming. You know, I think it's going to be a different animal. You should get into falconry. I had a friend who was into falconry. That is, uh, that's an impressive hobby. That sounds uh, impressive. That sounds ridiculous. I know what falconing is. Uh, he, he would raise falcons and they, he had the joint where he had the glove and they would go into like trees and pick up stuff and then come and then come land on his arm. Yeah, that's a power move right there. That, that's badass. Well, for a guy who knocks out Jeremy Stevens, uh, it, it is certainly within your wheelhouse. Uh, congratulations, Calvin. I'm sorry the flight sucked, but, man, you really shined on a big stage. I thought it was a phenomenal win, a great performance, and uh, I take my hat off to you. Thanks for making some time for us. 
Yeah, thank you. Okay, you know who else is a bird guy? Tyson, man. I think I think there's something in common. Yeah, but he he you you were I mean he had pigeons, you know, which is like this is yeah. a shitty bird, man. Damn. Like that would, would, come on, man. Youngest world champ, heavyweight world champ. <laughs> Listen, I'm saying it to you, not to his face. Okay, it's a big difference. All right, well, I'll keep an eye out for the bird, man. Thanks for the call. Appreciate uh appreciate the words. Hopefully we'll have something lined up soon. Talk yeah. to you then. Yeah, get well soon. Thanks for your help, and uh, great, great, great stuff. Take care. All right, thank you. Anthony Smith on MMA Tonight. Is this now the moment where everyone's looking at Justin Gaethje as maybe the best lightweight on planet Earth? Justin Gaethje is fundamentally better than Tony Ferguson, so I'm not sure if they ran that back, if it would look much different. Maybe that was the Gaethje effect. Like, maybe it's not Tony. Maybe he didn't have an off night, and Justin Gaethje's just good at making people look bad. At this point, there's a strong argument to be made that Justin may be the best 155-pounder on the planet. Tuesday through Thursday, 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern, on Sirius XM Fight. Nation. Mel time. Have a question about MMA, sports, entertainment, or life in general? If people just came to me for the answers, the world would be a better place. Email Luke at LukeThomasShow at gmail.com and get the answers to all those burning questions during the Luke Thomas Show midweek mailbag. All right, Luke Thomas Show, time for the TLTS Midweek Mailbag. You guys know how it goes. This is your chance to steer the show. We do it every Wednesday. Email is LukeThomasShow at gmail.com. We do not have a moment to waste. I believe Cobb will assist me. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, let us get to the very first question. Message. All right, this comes from Leland, who's got a nice, uh, interesting two-parter for you. All right, so number one, did Dominic Cruz lose because he failed to evolve as a fighter? He couldn't check leg kicks against TJ, and he couldn't check them now. So who do game plan for the Dominic Cruz from 2017, and Dom didn't make him pay for that. He doesn't seem to have objectively assessed the game and adapted it. <coughs> excuse me, and adapted for it for, for today's bantamweights. What do you think to that first part, Luke? I think that that's probably true, but what you're asking is impossible. In other words, um. It is probably true that his game from 2017 has not changed significantly. I mean, you could change weapons and strategy and focus on certain things in this fight and that fight. But the core of who you are, once you're age 32, 33, it's just who you are. Uh, And there's not much you can do to fix that, especially if, like, in terms of your reformation, you're losing so much time due to injury. There's only so many things you can do. Now, you could have said, well, he could have wrestled, and he did try to wrestle, but Henry stuffed it. So... You know, remember, like you develop your game at a certain point, and then that just becomes your game. So you can use that game. You can have a wide, uh, you can have a, 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 a wide, we want to say arsenal, right? You can have a wide arsenal. You can do different things. You can strike. You can wrestle. Like John Jones mixes it up. But like, imagine if John Jones took two years off and came back. What would he look like? He'd probably look like the guy who just left. There's not much at this point when you become a mature talent to do things all that differently. So I understand the question, but I think it's a little bit unfair. Is there a second part? Yes. So he has another question about one of the other UFC 249 fights. Uh, Jair has repeatedly knocked out opponents who tried to blitz him, Arlovsky and Crowder. He has displayed pretty good precision, precision, speed, and power while backing up. 
I think he suspected that Ngannou was particularly susceptible being countered as he rushed opponents and made a calculated decision when he called Ngannou out. What I don't think he planned for was Ngannou eating his punches like they were Tic Tacs and knocking him out instead. Is Ngannou's chin the unsung hero of his win at UFC 249? Yeah, it seems that way. I think that's a big part of it. I also don't think that those punches landed all that clean. You know, I think they landed a little, because I think he actually kicked first and then threw the punch. I don't know if he really had his base under him in the same way. But listen, I don't want to say that's the entire reason. Like, the reality is what this caller identified or this writer identified, which is, turns out Ngannou's got a little bit of a beard on him. Um, You know, and he's not really been beat up either, you know? I mean, he got beaten up in the Stipe fight. But in terms of standing, like long wars, bro, there are none. <laughs> they just they don't they don't go that long. So uh, yeah, I think that's true. Next, Ma'am, motherfucker. All right, this comes from Edwin, who says, "Hey, Luke, has a fighter ever physically threatened you? And what are you supposed to do when that happens?" Yep, that's happened a couple times. Um, both times, I just kind of ignored it, thinking that they were just losing their mind temporarily, and. In the end, it worked. The, the time passed, and by the time I saw them again, nothing happened. Seems like a little bit of luck, but sure, yeah, I've been physically threatened, of course. I mean, to me, that's sort of inevitable. It doesn't happen very often. I mean, I think it's happened twice in my whole career. Um, you know, most of the time I piss people off, but not to the point where they want to physically assault you. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not like Colby Covington. I mean, think about the things he says about John Jones. Like, those are the kinds of things that, you know... <laughs> <laughs> the fact that he hasn't been run up on in public more often is frankly a miracle. You know, I might say things that people don't like or disagree with or even vehemently disagree with, but I'm not out here insulting people's mothers or significant others or wishing ill upon their lives. I might be making professional assessments they don't agree with and that make them that makes them angry. But in general, I tend to avoid those kinds of things. And uh, one hasn't like the actual act of threatening it's been a few years since the last one. And I think since then I've gotten pretty good about, you know, I, I never come on here and don't tell you how I feel, but I always make sure to be as fair again, the way to go, the way to like get around this problem for the most part, it's not totally avoidable, but the basic way to get around this is to be able to say, I could say whatever I say on the air to someone's face. Very easy rule and requires a little bit of bravery because you might be, you know, you might be like thinking to yourself, well, that's, what would I really say to someone's face? And then when you're actually really forced to do that, actually a little harder than you might imagine. So you have to kind of, you know, stick to your convictions a little bit, but it's why you need data. It's why you need, you know, uh, experience. It's why you need good information because good information will be your savior in the end. So it's, you know, I don't know how common it is. I've heard of some media guys getting assaulted here or there and they just never report it to be honest with you. But even then we're talking about a handful of incidents with a handful of guys. It's not, a, I don't want people to think it's some kind of, you know, steady occupational hazard or something. It's a rare one off. And both times I got threatened, nothing ever came to it. So there you go. That's it. Next. That's my question. You know, we didn't really get to touch upon this fight much, but uh, this comes from, hopefully I'm saying his name correctly. Tao uh, says, hi, Luke. It's not, a, it's not a hot topic, but something I've noticed and wondered about your thoughts. I know Donald Cerrone is very popular and has a very impressive fighting resume. What I've noticed in his recent losses is that he seems ready with a massive smile afterwards. It's great that fighters are good sports and congratulate their opponents respectfully, but it almost looks like he didn't really care about winning or even expected to win. You look at UFC 249, Tony congratulated Gaethje eventually, uh, though he didn't look overjoyed 
the way Cerrone seems after his more recent losses. Does he still have the killer instinct to win if he doesn't seem to, if he doesn't seem to be that sore of a loser? Uh, I'm not big on conspiracy theories, but his loss to McGregor looks super suspect given how he seemed so grateful to Connor after the opportunity for the opportunity. You know, I think it's a reasonable question, but the smiling to me is less of an issue. Some people smile when they're angry, believe it or not, it's possible. You know, some people smile when they're let's even if you don't want to believe that uncomfortable, you know, smiling can mean many different things. It doesn't just mean, Oh, hell, I'm happy. I think it most commonly means that, of course, but it can mean many different things. People can smile for all different purposes. So I'm less about reading into body language, but I do think there's something to be said for the fact that, like, look, man, you know, we said it before, but Pettis and, and Cerrone met in 2013, and since then, Pettis had 14 fights, Cerrone had uh, or even 13, and then Cerrone had uh, 26 and across two weight classes, and this is the first time he's had a four-fight losing streak, and you know, we talked about the 364 days before the McGregor fight, and and uh, the, 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 you know, the brutal slog that that must have been. I just, you know, again, part of me is like wondering if the guy's just completely run down. Now, he gave, I thought, I, I, listen, let's also acknowledge something here. I thought he beat Anthony Pettis. Cobb, how'd you score that fight? I actually went with Pettis. Narrowly, okay. I went with Pettis. Would you have been upset if Cowboy had won? No, it was a super close fight. It was, a, right. it was way more competitive than I thought it was going to be. I thought so Pettis might roll through. Yeah, I thought Pettis was going to roll through too. So let's just say it out loud. I thought, or you can make a case anyway, that Cowboy won that. That wasn't like, the, the, the McGregor fight was terrible. And the Ferguson fight, he was good early and kind of faded down the stretch and then had the injury. The uh, Gaethje fight was terrible. You know, he got flatlined. So you've got, in the four losses, two that were bad. One that was not great and looked bad, but, you know, he had performed ably. And then one where you could argue that he... He had won. You know, I'm not ready to declare that the guy is completely burned out, but I do think that, like, you know, you hear his coaches say, it's like, well, he wants to compete on the schedule, and, and there might be a part of him that when he was in his 20s even, that actually was the secret to his success. I just have a hard time believing you can fight that often against this level of competition, and that's the way to maximize your wins. That's just a real, again, I'm not a coach. I don't know anything relative to John Wood or even Don, of course, not even, but especially Donald or, you know, I'm, I don't have that capacity, but I don't understand the argument that at 37 years of age, this level of activity against this kind of opposition, that's the best way to get a win. I don't believe that. Maybe at 20 when he's on the come up and he's fighting other contenders who are also trying to prove their worth. But as an elder statesman who has something to give, but probably won't, needs to be a little bit more selective about it. I don't know, man. I don't. I don't buy that. I, I'm I, at least I'm skeptical of it. To put it, you know, a different way. I that it's just something that these guys have all these habits that they pick up, you know, and they carry it forward in their career. And again, you know, you're talking about people who have way more expertise than me. I can't overstate that enough. But I would love to hear the argument that like. If we did this slightly, I'm not, I'm not saying even dramatically different, just have Cerrone fight three times a year, you know, or lower the level of competition. Like you're going to fight five times in 364 days against those people. <laughs> like, dude, that's very difficult to do. Even if you're fresh and one of the best dudes in the world. So I, I don't know. I think part of it to me is the guy, I feel like he's run down. And could you blame him? 
Look what he's been doing. So anyway. All right. Next. Message. And just a quick add on to that, Luke. About as good as Cerrone's looked in round one as I've seen in a long time. But uh, all right. Moving on, though. This comes from Scott in St. Louis, who says, hey, Luke, loved your breakdown of how Tony Ferguson hardly ever attempts takedowns. Do you think it could be because he could be chasing performance bonus checks if in his mind the wrestlers are not as exciting as the strikers? You know, people ask me questions like this all the time, like, hey, was one reason why he didn't do this was because, uh, you know, there was no crowd or um, what was the one I got the other day that I did not think was an especially. um, Yeah, here's what I got. I got this one personally, Cobb. Someone says, is it possible that Justin Gaethje's increased composure was a byproduct of a lack of an audience? And no, I don't, I don't really feel like that explains it because he was composed like that even with an audience. Now, granted, in significantly shorter fights, but across multiple fights, and then here have a five-rounder, it was in keeping with what you had seen in the other three. Uh, now, maybe that would have changed if Tony had bombed on him and he, had, he was forced to, like, you know, rally. Maybe that would have changed the equation. So you're, you're, you're fighting out of a deficit and you're hurt, and then the crowd is cheering you on. I could see that playing a role, but if you're in total command um, and you've been total command in the last three fights before that, even when there was a crowd. Yeah. I don't know if I buy that as as an answer. And so he's asking about Tony not wrestling for what reason? Uh, Because maybe he's chasing performance bonus checks and he knows that, uh, you know, the wrestlers tend to not get it as much as the strikers do. Yeah. I don't think that's, I, I doubt that sincerely. I don't a lot. Of, I think a lot of times people point to what would be perhaps explanatory, but in a very, very, very minor way. Like if you're ranking the reasons, these would be towards the bottom of the list. They would they might make the list, but they're at the bottom of it. To me, it's just it's Occam's razor. The simplest explanation is probably the, the correct one, which is this is how he's been fighting, how he trained himself to fight. And it's just hard to undo that at age 36, 37. Let's do one more of these if we can. All right. No name on this. I'm just going to call him DD. That's all I see on the email. Double D's. Uh, Double D's. Uh, Says, hey, Luke, I haven't heard the media zone zone in on Justin's mentality and the role that it has played in his success. He repeatedly repeatedly says that he is willing to die in the octagon. It would appear almost always he actually means it. He even has a tattoo on his body that says death before dishonor, which is interesting to consider. Perhaps this is something he takes very seriously and is part of his mentality that allows him to achieve the levels he achieves beyond his skill. Do you think his apparent death, wish makes him more dangerous and gives him an edge on his competitors? Yes and no. Um, first of all, I know plenty of Marines who have that tattoo. I mean, it's a very common tattoo in the Marine Corps death before dishonor, and they'll put it on different things. Usually it's a knife, right? They get a knife tattooed somewhere on their forearm or their leg, and they'll put death before dishonor on it. Um, so I'm not unaccustomed to seeing that for people who might not know people like that. Maybe it seems a little off or weird or unique. It's not all that unique to be honest with you. Um, I know a lot of fighters who do, there's a lot of fighters who will fight to the death. If you let them, maybe they don't articulate it in the in sort of the obvious way and upfront way that in the sort of very clear eyed way that Gaethje does, but he's not alone in that. But I, I mean, to answer the question, um, Justin has a particular method of, talking about these things that feels different 
I acknowledge. He's so... He treats it, not nonchalantly, but he treats it very matter-of-factly. Like, yes, I'm perfectly willing to die. Like, as if to say, turn right at the light. You know, that kind of a thing. And that, I think, is very unusual for people. But if you ask a lot of fighters, that is a common sentiment. Especially among the elite ones who are up for really big prizes. So, I would say yes, uh, in the sense that this, this, I will kill myself to win mentality that sounds really weird to people who don't watch the sport or don't know people like this i think it's a lot more common than people think i think it's the right kind of honestly the right kind of mindset to be a winner but that's why government regulation and having referees step in and corners throw towels is really really important because you cannot rely on fighters to self-police in that way um but i would just caution against thinking that justin has some kind of monopoly on this view uh, he embraces it in a very, very zen-like way. But let me tell you something. There's a lot. I mean, how about Israel Adesanya against Kelvin Gastelum? Looking at him across the cage before the fifth round started and said, I'm ready to die. You know, I said it out loud. They could read his lips. You saw it right there on video. It's very common. It's very common among the elite. It's just, it's crazy to think that someone would want to do that for a paycheck. Bro, some of these guys will do it for a paycheck. I'm not sure what to tell you. Thanks for listening. Catch the Luke Thomas Show live and in its entirety weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. On Twitter, follow at L Thomas News and the channel at MMA on Sirius XM.